It just happens at this point that they were working on Rio, their first Rio movie. They were very interested in birds. <laughs> Coins or whatever, I, I, that was really funny. So um, uh, I was, um, you know, they, they called me, they made an interview and I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I was nervous for this first interview with my internship in LA, but oh my God, was I nervous for the Blue Sky Studios and um, call. I was so nervous because I wanted it so bad <laughs> that I was just like, don't screw it up, don't screw it up. My guest today is Sabina Heller. She is currently the global head of character animation and rigging at Micros Animation and worked incredible 12 years in the rigging department at Blue Sky Studios until its recent closure. Together, we talk about her rigging career from a junior to the head of characters, her experiences at Blue Sky Studios, the feature animation films she worked on and the final days of a legendary studio in 2021. You are listening to The 21 Artist Show a podcast that inspires creatives to make meaningful content to pursue their passion. I'm talking with creators, artists, and engineers about their careers, lessons they have learned, and how to make an impact. I'm your host, Alexander Richter. I'm a technical director and coach in visual effects, animation, and games. For more content, go to 21artistshow.com. Enjoy the show. It's awesome to have you on the show, Sabina. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. One of the things that we always want to do at the show in the beginning is to give a little bit of an overview over your career because it's always kind of like, okay, who is this person we're talking about? What are kind of the milestones of the life? So can you give us a little bit of a brief history of your career? Like what did you do and where did you go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe I'll start with, um, I, I grew up in Germany, so that's where I was uh, born and spent most of my life there. And then I, um, later on, I, I became super interested in animation and I decided that's what, you know, I want to do for my career. And I then started working at a um, small company in Germany, in Hamburg, Spanz and Partner. And after that, I moved to New York to start at Blue Sky Studios. And there I spent 12 years uh, until recently, actually. I, I was uh, started there as a character technical director in, in the basically the, the rigging department. And then I moved to um, different positions. I became a lead. I became a character development supervisor. And at the end, I was a head of characters. And after that, um, you know, just this year, basically Blue Sky Studios was closed, unfortunately. And um, now I'm actually the global head of character animation and rigging at Micros Animation, which uh, is uh, owned by Technicolor. Perfect. That, that's, a, that's an awesome career. 12 years is a lifetime in this industry. So it's basically like, uh, for me, it's basically unheard of a lot of people. Uh, there are like companies like Pixar or Weta who, who maintain this like long streak of people who stay there for that long of time, but 12 years is a lot. And that's one of the things I, I was so fascinated about is kind of like, um, like how do you, did you kind of maintain this interest in, in a company and maintain this kind of a career in in being 12 years at, at a company it's, it's, it's super interesting um but we actually like how we actually met was actually at the film academy that's where where i i met you first time and then uh, later at the fmx so you were That's you were right. doing uh, a course in rigging 
and and to the audience, I'm not a rigger at all, so I don't really like have any clue about rigging. I, I did my rigging basics in the beginning, as everyone did, you know, but I have no clue. But I remember one 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 sentence that you said um, in the course. Uh, you were kind of like very bland shapes. That was something that you that you loved, and you were kind of more of um, creating sub, like sustainable like rigs instead of creating too complicated code bases kind of thing. That's something I kind of uh, remember a little bit from, from your, you were, you were very much this kind of fundamentals. It, it's interesting. I think it, it always varies a little bit. I, I, at Blue Sky, you know, we in the ringing department, we did both. We did the more technical base of it. And then we also did the uh, blend shapes and or or let's put, put it like this, the more creative aspects of it. Some uh, studios, they separate this out and the rigging artists, they don't do any of that. And they do more of the technical aspects of it. But um, we did both. And uh, one of the things is I, I uh, noticed is that you know, at least where, you know, I came from a blue sky, the, the creative aspect of it was always something, um, that needed to be, you know, we, we, we needed to train people. So for example, when you were hiring people, a lot of the students that wanted to be Come breakers were very focused on the technical aspects, um, but then sometimes the deformations. How do deformations look? Um, and that also includes skinning, not only correctives, but how does it look artistically? That was sometimes a little bit in the background, you know, it was secondary. So that's why when I when I came to the film academy, I wanted to definitely make sure that I communicated. You know, what we are looking for is also that it it it's you know you have a technical foundation and the technical aspects are awesome but not only that it's also you have to make sure that it looks good in the result so there is a, a really artistic aspect to it which sometimes you know when you say oh rigging and it, it's often called rigging td right technical director so that um that there is a creative aspect to it and sometimes that's actually quite large aspect, and sometimes that's uh, can become a really, really important one. I think in every rig, it is important, and it's also important for the animator you work with because they want to have beautiful deformations at the end. So that's why when 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 <laughs> I had that little uh, uh, workshop, I was really wanted to communicate that that this is actually one of the main things that we are currently uh, waiting for to see also on on demo reels when when people apply when students apply because it is uh, not only the really technical aspects for me rigging also includes the deformation and having um you know a beautiful outcome at the end that that looks um the way you would want to have it for your character yeah no but it, it kind of sticked to my mind yeah. i remember this specific point so you successfully put it definitely in my brain inceptioned <laughs> it so um no but I, I feel like um a lot of other people know you mostly from fmx for example you did mo multiple talks there and i remember the peanuts talk but also from documentaries and making offs actually you you sent me for example some some of i saw before some were new and i was like wow wow she is super famous here <laughs> just kind of an interesting uh thing for like how did, did did it end up that you were coming in so many making offs like it's that's a, a really interesting question because you know when i started at blue sky 
Uh, it was, I think, on, that started on Rio 1, maybe, or on Epic. I'm not sure anymore. But one of the, the interesting thing was that at the beginning, I realized, and, and, and I think that was just how it was, most of the people that were interviewed for the making offs were actually animators. And there were a lot of animators on it. And that, you know, there are probably a lot of marketing reasons for that. You know, animators can be sometimes very animated. You know, they talk about performance. It's just a little bit more, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're very uh, animated. And sometimes it's also about, uh, I think it's easier to understand for the audience that watches it, what actually animation is. You know, I think not, not that I would say, if yes, especially 3D animation, you know, sometimes people still um, think a little bit more about, oh, are you, do you draw, right? Are you drawing everything? I think that's still questions that I sometimes get. But I still think compared to rigging that nobody knows um, from a general audience, animation is much easier to explain. So at that point in time, there was still a lot of, it was primarily animators, you know, then you had directors, of course, you had the art department, you know, a lot of them, the, the those people were uh, interviewed for that. And it's this funny because I would say that the turning point uh, came a little bit and that was, I don't know, must have been an, uh, really relatively early, a couple of years after I started, um, an animator was out uh, I believe out, it was out that day when the interviews were done, I think out sick. And one of the other animators I had worked with said, hey, you know, why don't you ask Sabina? She has worked with me, you know, we worked on this together. Why can't can we maybe interview her, you know, and just pull, then she can, you know, substitute um, for, for that. So uh, that's basically how I got into this. And then I just spoke about things and tried to make it relatively simplified. And I think that was kind of the point where then from there on, I was in every single one of those. <laughs> you were shortlisted <laughs> basically. It's like, okay, we need, we need someone with a little bit more technical. So what we have on the list, top of the list, Sabina. Okay. Yeah, I think it was partly that. And then I also <laughs> think it was uh, it became a little bit more of something you know um i there, there's there i remember there was some there was this cool um i think it was um you know, like a, a cool making of where they were explaining also uh, what different um, aspects are going into making 3D animation. Um, and I think that was also from, from uh, I think one was from, uh, I don't know, I think it was on Despicable Me. That was a really cool one. There was a couple of those that started. And uh, Blue Sky also started to, you know, pull in more, you know, different aspects of it. And I think so that that became a, a really good good thing. And I think it actually made a lot of sense because it increased the visibility of uh, all the the different pipeline steps. It increased the visibility of artists behind the scenes, you know, that have uh, different roles. And I think it also helped a little bit with, with you know, inspire people that want to go into the industry to see other roles in there and uh, understand a little bit what really goes into making it. And of course, that helped marketing as well. And that's kind of how it turned out. It's it's funny because I think the, the main uh, interview I always get asked about is the uh, Rio 2 interview with uh, Blue and Jewel where I, I show like, and it was a long interview and um, it was pretty uh, fun. And it's funny, still until this day, people talk to me about it when, when I 
meet people or even if I, you know, now in, in my new role, interview people um, for, for a job, they say, oh, yeah, Sabina, I've been, uh, you know, seeing this interview and I've been looking at how to do birds. And it's it's really funny uh, that this this took off that way. And I had no idea. I, you know, you don't know. <laughs> It's just when people talk to you about it, then it becomes like, yeah, oh, really? Yeah. You watch that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you just kind of things you do and forget, basically. You know, it's kind of like uh, take some hours, maybe you do it and then you go back to work and it's not yeah. like your focus of your life or something. And yes. then some, sometimes even years later, people suddenly come to you and like, oh, I saw this thing that you do it like in five minutes, uh, saw that and that's why I know you. And it's like, Ooh. yes. And it's it's funny because I honestly always enjoyed that aspect of it because um, it's uh, you know it's something different that 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 you do right it's um, you you do your day you know normal job your day job and but this is something a little different so I always loved it because it you know brings a little bit of a change to your normal work day which is kind of fun. Yeah, no, I totally get that. So also one of the the reasons why I started the YouTube channel, podcast yeah. and stuff. It's kind of like you can like look at things in a different way. You talk yeah. about in a different way. It's also fun to talk to you, for example, about specific topics like, you know, and go dive into that that you in a way do at work. You know, you talk about careers and stuff like that. But here you can you can like focus really on specific things or just kind of like see what's what will come out of it, basically. Yes. So, so re really, really nice. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was something I, I, I noticed for you. you you're definitely one of the more famous people here <laughs> <laughs> on the show. <laughs> so, so yeah, I will definitely blend in the videos. So people, people will know even more people will know you're making offs here. Yeah. But one thing though, and I'm not sure if you're gonna, uh, use that one, but there is this one thing that was the craziest thing I'd ever done. And that was for the peanuts movie. Right, it was literally a, a, a one-off thing for um, Nickelodeon and it was a kid's thing and it was kind of acted out and it was just crazy. I think that was the, the weirdest thing I've ever done. <laughs> but it was fun, you know, it was definitely different. <laughs> now, the audience, we don't have any choice but to blend it in. So if you want to watch it, go over to YouTube to watch this clip that described this now. <laughs> So, okay, that, that was, that was fantastic. So I think we go a little bit back and go a little bit at the time where you actually started in itself. So before you came to Blue Sky, there were, were of course, alive before that. Um, so the question is basically like, how did you end up being at Blue Sky? What were the steps that you took to end up at Blue Sky? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as I said before, I I grew up in Germany and, you know, at that point in time, um, I, you know, didn't really, when I came out of school, I didn't really think about that I, I could have a career in animation, at least at the very beginning. But what I did know is that I wanted to do something with um, art and design. And I wanted to do something that um, has to do with uh, computers and technical, because I really uh, loved, you know, just working with the computer. I, I, I mean, I, I, I would be maybe a little bit uh, far-fetched to say that I was a gamer, but I did definitely play games, and I, um, you know, just started, uh, you know, just 
using the computer. I, I used, you know, kind of like, uh, I think it actually was still Coral Draw at that point, um, really early on, just to like, try, yeah, yep, to just start and try things out. Um, and it, it was just something where I was like, um, and keep in mind, I was like, um, you know, 1999, maybe. <laughs> So that's where I'm kind of dating myself a little bit. Right? That's important, by the way, to give a little bit of perspective yes. because because we, we I just made an episode with uh, Carl Rosendale, PDI, and he founded the company in 1980. So yeah. I always need to to kind of remind people like, please give us a context of yeah. the time because the internet and all this stuff was a lot of times not as prevalent as today. So yes, yeah. So I guess that was around that time, 1999. Um, and then I I uh, graduated from high school in or. Uh, yeah, in, in Germany, the equivalent in 2000, and um, started actually at uh, Hochschule Darmstadt. Um, at that point, it was the Fachhochschule Darmstadt, and uh, it was a, an interesting new program that was cool because I loved the combination of different things. It had like uh, an aspect of uh, design, graphic design, and it had an aspect of uh, Uh, programming and information technology. And then it also, in addition of it, it has a project management aspect. So it was a little bit more um, in, you know, that realm, it was a little bit more, uh, you know, the internet, you know, you web design, those kind of things. Uh, and uh, I was really drawn to that. And I, I, I loved that. And I started there and, uh, you know, was uh, introduced to, to a lot of different aspects. And I really responded well to the, you know, just programming. I really liked scripting. Um, I loved um, the, you, the graphic design aspect. And, you know, I also, at that point in time, I was interested in the uh, project management aspect, but I didn't see this as like the one thing I want to really go into, which is funny because that changed during my career and we will <laughs> like, get like back to 20 that. 20 years later, kind of. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and, and it was uh, really, I, I really loved it. It was a, a great program. Um, and as I said, it was really new. So a lot of things were still kind of being figured out, but I, I thought I got a really good in, in overview and introduction on a lot of things. And, uh, but what I realized too, you know, in the very first I think it was the very first summer um, after my first, like, um, I think one, one, two semesters. And I was like, okay, I want to go to IBM and do an internship uh, for the summer. And I did. And uh, I wanted to just see, is, is the really programming, is that what I want? Um, and uh, it was interesting. I definitely uh, had a lot of fun. It was really something I... Uh, enjoyed, but I also realized that what I was making and programming, I didn't really have a visual output. I, I think it took a while until I realized what I was actually doing or what I was actually programming for. And it was uh, for um, car manufacturing. Uh, I think they were doing um, for like, you know, like really fancy cars, some of the roof stuff. And I was working on the system and it was, uh, at some point I got to visit the, the manufacturer, um, uh, manufacturing, um, company, but it was still very abstract. And that was the thing where I was like, okay, 
I think that doesn't quite work for me. I need the visual. I need the, that aspect. If I just, uh, you know, see code and that's pretty much the main thing I do and I don't really know what it's going to do in the grand scheme, I think that that is really hard for me. So after that, I, and, and just so you know, on the side, I was a huge fan of um, animation and, you know, there were a lot of things that I probably really kind of bugged my my friends at, uh, at college uh, because I watched those short films that were coming out at those times. You know, I, I think I like for the birds from from Pixar, I've watched so many times uh, and could still laugh after like the 20th time. And uh, I loved, you know, Shrek. I've watched Shrek so many times and uh, I was just like, at some point it was just dawning on me, like I should do that because I just love watching it. And I love the, you know, the technical aspects. I love the art aspects, but better than 3D animation. And that's literally where I was deciding. And that was, I think after the first two semesters, I was like, this is what I want to do. And uh, the great thing is actually at my, um, University was very open to some of this. Uh, although, I mean, in my studies, there was no 3D aspect to it. One of my professors, for example, actually came a little bit more from that area very early, right? This is very early. Um, and in Germany at that point, you know, there were not that many schools, except, you know, you had the film academy, but it was just not as uh, common as it is today. And uh, also getting the software, right, was a different story. There were no student versions. Uh, so what I did is I, I decided I'm going to apply for this um, uh, job, side job at the Research Institute, um, the uh, Fraunhofer Institute. Um, uh, well, it, at that point, I think it was the ZGDV, which is a center for graphic imagery I think I would translate that as and uh, it was cool because they basically and I just always loved this they paid me for learning Maya or like really early um, on an SGI workstation and of course you know you couldn't buy that at that point in time that was definitely especially for a student you know I was uh, you know didn't you know definitely wasn't uh, that wealthy to be able to get that so it was fantastic and i literally got paid for that learning it i went through the whole like handbook of it um you know that was also the time there were not that many tutorials there were actually not really any tutorials online um so i was just going through it and i was just doing this um and creating some avatars i think uh, for for that research uh, institute and it was uh, amazing I, that I actually had that job that paid me and I could learn it. And uh, so that was really awesome. And then I, of course, did so much 3D at home. Um, but that was more of like uh, a 3D Studio Max um, and some some other you know, where, where I could buy books, yes, physical books for tutorials and, uh, you know, try to, to learn it. And then, and that was the really cool thing, is my, my university in that program, there was one semester, one half year, that you mandatory had to do uh, an internship. And it was for you to, you know, get work experience, but also to, you know, see how you like certain areas. And, and uh, that was kind of something I was like, okay, 
you know, I want to do 3D. I want to do uh, want to do this. Where do I go? And of course, you know, and I had no connection whatsoever. But I was like, oh, where can you do this best? You go to LA, right? That's where where the stuff is done. Los Angeles, you know, Hollywood. And I was like, okay, now let's uh, let's uh, apply there. I had no idea what companies were out there. I didn't know how that would work with uh, you know hiring me. Um, so what I did, and you know. One thing you have to know about me, I'm very much about, um, okay, I'll do my research and I I figure this out by like getting books and reading about it. So I, at that point, they had this, uh, this book um, that basically was like an industry book and it gave you like an overview over what kind of, and it really was just a directory pretty much. So I got this, it was an American book. I ordered that and then I got it and I went through every single company in this book that was in, in Los Angeles. And I looked at their website, if they had one, some of them didn't, you know, that was still, it was awesome. still a very early times. <laughs> yes, it was very early. And then I decided, you know, what can I do good? You know, one of the things, okay, I just started with 3d. So I was a little bit more of an art, um, you know, it was more autodidactic, you know, I did this uh, kind of on my own and of course learning at the Research Institute, but I was also on my own pretty much. So what can I do good? Well, I can do websites pretty good because that's what I learned in my studies. So I made a website and I put some work samples on it. Oh, were they bad? Uh, but, you know, they were early, were 3D um, in a time where, where people didn't, didn't do that so much yet. And then I sent... Um, I knew since I had no connections, uh, I basically decided I'm going to send out um, email applications because, you know, we are, uh, you know, regular, regular mail that would have been probably too expensive. So I decided to send that uh, out, give them a link to my website and then apply. And as I said, this is this was not that common, you know, today, you know, it's it's you know, that's what you do. You send a link to your real online. At that point, that was a little different and I wasn't sure if it would work. So I send it out and I send literally, I think I must've sent a hundred emails um, to hundred companies. Um, and you know what? I had one really interested company. Uh, they, they, I couldn't believe it. They called me on my phone, which had an answering machine. No, that was not a cell phone that was a regular phone. <laughs> we're, we're going back in time I, and I'm slowly f feeling like we're uh, back to the future free here, you know, and then we're basically you just said like, OK, by the way, um, the way I came to the US was by by a, like a horse and, and ship yeah. and stuff like that. That's I, what I'm waiting for here. It's now. so funny and it's really not that bad. It's just also you have to, you know, think about it. And I did have a have a cell phone, but one of the things is that um, uh, you know, money was always a thing as well, right? When you're a student and you you also uh, had to to look it out for that. So I, you know, had the had the answering machine on my regular phone, and uh, I had one day I had this message from a Gentle Giant Studios, and it was the company owner that called, and uh, I was beyond excited and terrified. <laughs> And uh, so I made this uh, interview um, with him and 
so we we uh, uh, talked and I had this, my whole desk was full of uh, paper that I had written on things like, when if I don't know, I don't understand them because, you know, English wasn't my, uh, you know, first language, right? German was my first language. I had English in school, but actually before English, I had learned French. So at that point, I would say um, uh, French was, after my native uh, language, the second language I learned because French I had first. So I was nervous. And, uh, and I had all of those sentences. If some, if I don't understand him, then I'm going to read this. <laughs> 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 and it was really funny and it, it worked out. And, but, but was the difficult thing is that he said, you know, um, the only, you know, they don't pay for internships. You know, I think this is still very common, right? Um, so you have to get your own finance. I'm not coming from a poor family, but we were definitely not in a wealthy family, you know? So it was something that was definitely something to consider. So, but I decided at that point in time, they had a, a scholarship that I could apply for and it was for internships. And uh, they though said, I would only get it um, if I had secured my job and my company in the in General Giant Studios, they said, I can only give you the job if you have your finances secured. So I, you know, did a little bit of a, oh yeah, got that. You know, I sent an email that wasn't hundred percent the confirmation, but so it worked, you know, you, you had to balance this a little bit and at the end it worked. And um, so I got fin financing from the scholarship, but you know, of course, um, uh, thanks of my, to my family, I also got a little bit of support there, but it wasn't like, you know, I, I definitely, um, it, it just helped to kind of balance that out a little bit. And, uh, yeah, and that's what I did. And then I went to LA had, um, you know, I literally, I think it scared a little bit my, my parents because I basically, uh, flew out there, um, had no, housing, no car, no whatsoever, not knowing where this company really was. And, you know, except from what I've seen online. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, it worked out. Um, I got a lot of really great help from some people in LA and I was able to have a really, really good uh, time there. Got to know the business. Um, this was, as I said, early and I would 2002, I flew over there, I believe. And what was interesting is they were doing 3D scanning, 3D scanning for maquettes sometimes. So we sometimes would get Pixar maquettes that we would scan in, which was, of course, awesome, right? But then we would also have, like, um, the maquettes from uh, Lord of the Rings. I remember I had this early maquette that I scanned from the Balrog, which was uh, that big... Uh, you know, kind of demon monster. Oh, and it was just amazing, awesome. And then um, the main thing was, and that was really interesting because they did toys um, and they scanned uh, actors for... The figures? Uh, it, it's, it's for figures, but also for uh, effects because mm -hmm. they had one of the... They were one of the few companies that had a full body scanner. Also, as I said... Uh, 2002, um, different story today, but at that point they had a full body scanner and they had a head scanner and um, they were actually mobile. They had it on a truck and you could go to the set. You would take this truck and go on set, a huge truck. In the back, you had uh, a full body scanner, you know, where an actor could stand in and in the front you had a, um, 
like a, you know, like a seat, and then you would have a, a scan that would go around your head. And uh, one day, uh, I I got the opportunity to go on set, so my my supervisor um, uh, went to uh, on set with me for um, I think that was um, the, the film uh, Haunted Mansion. And um, so I found out then that we're going to scan Eddie Murphy, which was uh, pretty exciting for me. For us at that time, he was like amazing. You know, you watched all his movies at that time. Jackie Chan, all these kind of stars were really big yes. for us at that like kind of 90s, 2000s. Yes. Eddie Murphy was like, I was like, I can't believe it. But what was the funniest thing about it is that um, I think, you know, we, we, we went on set and I got to know the, um, you know, the effects company. I think it actually was uh, ILM at that point. And I spoke with people and they were all a little, t everybody was a little tense. And uh, uh, it was interesting because, uh, you know, it was kind of the thing where, you know, they said, oh, you know, um, Eddie Murphy is actually really shy. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> okay. Uh, because I did really, I mean, you don't, you know, it's, he's an actor, an excellent actor. He's a stand-up comedian also. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. And then he's like, okay, so, um, you know, really, you know, it's possible, you know, that, you know, he's, he's really shy and we'll have to be really, you know, make sure that this all works well. And, and I was like, oh, wow. So there's those, those, those uh, three grown men, the three grown men that are absolutely a little terrified that this is all going well and I was just thinking like okay and I'm I'm uh, like, like just like 20 21 or so right and uh, uh, this is my first time here and I was like oh sh oh man I'm not sure this is going to be interesting so and then he came into the into the truck because it's it's really tight in that truck too so yeah you have to imagine this you have those <laughs> those three or two ILM guys sitting in the, in the corner in the back then I'm sitting in on the computer and right and in front of me or behind me because you basically you're kind of turning uh to to work on your machine and you have to seat where you know you do the head scan and my supervisor says oh sabina you do the head scan and i'm gonna prep the body scan and i was just oh my god now i have to do this <laughs> on my own and so uh so you know he came eddie murphy came in and i said oh yeah please sit down nice to meet you you know and he did not say a word one word and then and I was like oh man and I'm so nervous and then he sat down and I said and I explained to him you know what to do and you have to you know hold really still I do your first scan and then I'm gonna see how it goes and make just some adjustments and then uh we will see and then we'll do some uh, facial expressions you know uh, whatever actually you know the 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 ILM team would like you to do you know but primarily we do this this and that and um so I did this first scan Again, Eddie Murphy didn't say a word. <laughs> and I turn around, you know, I'm basically sitting there and I'm, I'm uh, and, you know, turning around, checking out the scan. And I feel like behind me, and as I say, this is really tight. So Eddie Murphy leans over and leans over and I can feel it. And I'm just like, oh, and then so I'm turning around and he's like, this is awesome. This is so cool. <laughs> and I was like, whoo. And you could like literally in this track, you know, Ah, it started like to change this atmosphere. I think I've never felt this as much as in this moment because I guess it's also because I was super nervous and it just like turned into, oh, people are excited, you know? And I was like, oh, this was so good. And then 
And then, you know, we did all the scans and I'm just have to say, I think I've never seen anybody be as controlled as he is with, that was amazing. I mean, he could hold so still and he, that, you know, it took a while until this thing goes around. There was like, it was the most perfect scan because he did not make any sort of movement. And it was a really extreme expressions and it was absolutely um, amazing to see that control. Um, and what was really cool is, you know, then he went on and he did his uh, body scan, which, um, you know, well, everybody was really happy in, in the track. And I was prepping everything in the back. And, and at the end of this, it was really cool. Actually, Eddie Murphy came back to, to the end of the track and personally, you know, say, hey, thank you so much. This was a, an awesome experience. And I was like, oh, okay, that's it. I'm still loving it. <laughs> Can I have your number? <laughs> that's nice. Wow. Uh, this is like, because that's, that's something that actually doesn't happen that often. You know, I was, yes. I was, people were asking me like, oh, we worked on Avatar 2. How did you meet James Cameron? It's like, that's not happening normally yes. or you work on Star Wars. Did you meet George Lucas or whoever is currently in charge? Like that's not happening normally yeah. or the actors or someone yes. like that. So, so it's kind of an interesting experience that you actually had that in the beginning of your career to have yes. someone A-listed. It was definitely something where I was like, okay, this, this was, you know, it was nerve wracking and pretty awesome and especially awesome since it turned out so, you know, well in the end. And I also didn't make a big mistake, you know, that would render everything unusable. <laughs> So no, it was that was pretty exciting. I think that was one of my my biggest highlights, uh, and uh, yeah, and I, I really enjoyed it there. And um, actually, you know, they, they did ask if I would stay at the company, but you know, I I guess that's maybe just me. But I I was like, nope, education first has to be finished. We're we're, so we're I, Germans, by the way. That's why for us it's like. <laughs> Like, no, 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 we don't go this, 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 uh, weird rockstar road. We're going yeah. the education road first. That's you know? right. That's, that's I feel like this is kind of a cultural thing also coming from that. It is a little bit. I also think it's, um, you know, there is, it's, it's very interesting because, um, I've seen so many people with different careers over the years and, um, everybody has a different background and some people don't, uh, have, you know, they didn't go to school for it and it worked amazingly for them. And uh, my personal uh, way was always, uh, I, I, I like to go, you know, I want to study it. I don't, you know, I feel like, okay, I have a confirmation that, you know, that I have a degree, you know, and it's, it's funny because in some ways for me personally, it has worked out because one thing, um, since I, you know, didn't have a, initially didn't have a green card or, or any sort of like, um, you know, citizenship of uh, the US, you know, for if you, you have a degree, it is slightly diff, slightly, or you have more ways to get a visa to go to the US. And that's where it played out, uh, off for me actually quite um, a lot because of that, um, you know, there are different categories in this area. And I didn't notice at that time, but now that I notice that that's the thing, if you are somewhere, you know, in a different country and you would want to come and work in the US or probably in, in a lot of other countries, it might be the same, but I'm not familiar with that. Um, but for the US, I know that there are different categories. And if you have degrees and you have education, then um, you qualify for different visas. And that in that sense, it paid off for me because I think otherwise it would have been very difficult maybe for me to, to um, come, come over. 
or get my green card or, you know, now having U.S. citizenship, although that was, um, you know, then easier once you had your green card. Basically, that's what education does. It, it creates opportunities like everything yeah. else. It's, it's not like you can, especially in this industry, you don't have to have education. You can just like through pure brute force and skill can go through their career and of course create relationship, which is super yes. important. But education, what I noticed, and I think probably you, you noticed the same is you advance higher most of the time because you have this understanding background you know if you're not just learn scripting by by practice but really have a scripting background or if you learned like for example rigging not just rigging but real autonomy bio, biological anatomy or something like that i feel like there is always this this edge which 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 uh, which goes to a specific level and then you get to, to this glass ceiling and i feel like there's a lot of times this glass ceiling is education where you if you want to have a higher over seniors a lot of times job it feels like education is the one that a lot of times tips over and gives you the edge to that i have uh, seen that as well although i wouldn't say it is uh, it has to be that way i i have seen people that um literally like um they just have so much work experience and have done so many things um that they advanced um sure. and and i do do think that is uh it's just, as you said, it opens up um, opportunities and it depends, you know, what kind of path you want to take. And uh, so for, for me, and that's also, as you said, you know, maybe cultural, maybe my personality that I did definitely uh, really like the, the educational way in some ways, um, which we might get later to in this conversation as well. <laughs> At least for me, I had always this feeling like uh, I should have learned that feeling you, you you have to sometimes too for example i remember in physics for example i always hated physics i love math but i like like school math at least but i hated physics but now when i'm coming more into 3d and rendering and all this this jazz and suddenly like oh, physics would be actually yeah. very practical but i never got the hang of it and i would have and now it feels like so hard so it's always kind of i i more regret not learning than learn something actually i think that's always this kind of way around uh, of education yeah. in a way it's funny you know because uh, i mean maybe that leads actually to to my next step in, in my career because uh, when i returned to germany and i finished my studies i um i had at that point decided that i want to do 3d animation but before i do that i wanted to learn a little bit more and that's again this kind of same thing that for me personally worked well. I wanted to see if I can have like a like a master's, like an MFA um, that I could do specifically in 3D animation, and that that's uh, was was something that. Um, uh, I felt like just with with the work experience I gained at you know my internship, but then also with what I had done at the university, like on my own time, I just didn't feel 100% prepared. And and that's where you say you know you just sometimes like oh I wished I had really learned that. And for me it was like before I really really go into career, I would need to feel like I. I I learned a bit more about this in depth and not just me on the side. Um, and and uh, one of the things I, I did is I um, I actually did my uh, well, what is it like a thesis, which was which was my animation uh, like uh, like I did like a you know for the final thesis for my final. Um, 
graduation at the the um, university in Germany, I did a little animated film, but I also wrote some some things for it. And uh, I did that together with Posimsat 1 in, in Berlin, uh, which was cool. It was just for like, uh, you know, basically four or five months and, and working with them. And I, I learned a lot of things. Um, I actually switched to Lightwave at that point in time. So uh, very interesting. I, I definitely switched around a lot with software. And, and then um, they actually also offered me a job, but I was uh, already in conversations with, um, I'm not sure if uh, people are aware, uh, you know, know this um, scholarship, but it was uh, called the Fulbright Scholarship. And they uh, offered basically support for studying in the US specifically. And that's why I actually applied for that because, you know, I, you know as you, you know, in, in Germany, um, the education is generally free. And so uh, it wasn't really something where, you know, at that point in time, there was any sort of lo loan I could have gotten, you know, or any, you know, it w I needed some support. And so I uh, applied for, for that scholarship and it actually uh, turned out, which was awesome. Um, and uh, I um, got to go to, to New York and study at the School of Visual Arts um, in, in the computer art uh, program that was called for, for two years, which was awesome. And at that point in time, I really learned a lot about, um, you know, certain things, how it's done, because a lot of the, the, the people that taught, they came from Blue Sky Studios, who were um, further up north from Manhattan. And uh, that was really awesome. And then they, you know, gave, gave a lot of their experience in, in those classes. And so I, I also got a little bit of a connection to the industry there. But I also um, made, made great friends in, in that um, time. And, and that's where, you know, I think it really, really kind of started for me. It's like, okay, now I feel prepared. And uh, the one thing though, uh, I actually had to return to Germany after that, uh, those two years of study, because that scholarship I got, um, the requirement was that you return to your home country for three years um, or two years. I'm not sure anymore, but basically I went back and, um, I uh, started then in Germany at a smaller uh, studio, Spanz & Partner, and that was about in 2006, I would say. And uh, that was uh, really cool. I started as a, uh, that was, uh, I think, as a TD, and I did um, pretty much uh, a lot of different things that you do as a TD in a tiny, in a small company. They were like, I think we were like 14, 15 or so, not, not a large group. And, uh, it was cool because they did, uh, commercials for, um, you know, all kinds of different areas, like the, uh, Kinder Surprise, for example, which was cool. So Ferrero was one of the clients, Jägermeister, the, the really cool 3D, um, animated characters was their specialty and uh, it was cool and and in that case i actually worked on uh soft image xsi um so that was again a different one and i actually had used this during my studies at the at the school of visual arts as well because um for, for several reasons I, I wanted to to do some some switches there and that was uh really um 
you know, interesting. So again, a different software. And uh, I, but I really enjoyed working at that team. It was so, you know, so, uh, such a close knit team. Um, and I'm, I'm still in touch with um, several people from that time. And it was uh, a, a great first real job to start in. That's also the, the, the typical time frame is in a way because uh, there were not as much off-the-shelf software that were very clearly established as today. Today is like Maya, Houdini, very clearly. But at that time, I mean, Softimage doesn't exist anymore, for example. It was actually the the one year where I wanted to start it because I, I get fed up with Maya was actually the year that they kind of... Uh, vanish it out of existence, um, yeah. and and that's something. By what I what I really see when, when talking um, to a lot of people is this determination of going into this industry in a very like conscious way. So that's also like when when we just looked what what your career was so far. It was very determined. I mean, just the whole thing of applying in in a different country. You know, it's like I don't know how you felt at that time, but I'm. If I imagine myself at that time, I probably like, like I, I was kind of like blind, blindly just trying to do something and then just would do something like this. But it would be still felt very crazy to go like outside of Germany, even like completely different continent. So it, it's it, I, I really see and a lot of people that that also come to the show, this determination and then kind of uh, extreme focus on getting there. Everyone's way will be a little bit different, but it is crazy how people kind of push forward and, and do the leap of faith kind of in a way, because I mean, that was not the normal road, you know, even for like, there is this cliche of Germans doing the, the, the things, you know, like step by step by step. And in a way I, I know where this is coming from. I have that too, for example, education, you want the basics, but this is kind of like jumping out of, of this whole thing, doing a complete like 180 in some cases, and then coming back when you decided what exactly is what you want. And it's, I think that's super amazing kind of to, to do that. And I think it's important to go in such like unestablished environments, for example. Yes. It, it, it's also interesting because at that time, you know, like it, it wasn't, uh, so connected, you know, in, in the sense that, for example, there was no Skype uh, that I knew of at that point in time. I remember ICQ I probably or something like that. It was, I used net meeting. I made a really, really choppy video, like, ah, oh, you know, that's how, <laughs> how pretty much this worked. That was the level and, of the uh, internet, huh? Yeah. It was very, very different and very interesting. And also, you know, I, I mean, they already had GPS and, and all of those things, but I do remember that I still, I, in LA, I remember I rented this car. I had a big um, map, stack of maps, and then I that's how I drove around, you know. It was <laughs> definitely still, you know, wasn't like, oh, my cell phone, I just put it in and then I was going to go and it's going to all work good. So, yeah, it was, was definitely a little different, but it was also, you know, a big adventure in, in a lot of sense. I always think I think about how people must have felt when you know they were really like as you said came with the with the, the like the boat over and then literally it must have been so different and such a huge adventure if it already felt for me a, a big adventure even though of course that's not even in the slightest comparable so yeah it's pretty pretty interesting and uh, but you know it was always even when I was then in, in Germany I Definitely felt like, okay, I do want to work for feature animation. Um, and I want to 
work on a big film. And um, so after three years working in Hamburg at the at the Spanson Partner, I was like, okay, I saw an opening uh, on the website for Blue Sky Studios. And so I um, I reached out to one of my friends, um, actually my best friends from, um, from uh, the School of Visual Arts where I studied. He actually had just started um, at Blue Sky uh, before that and, um, you know, I asked him, Hey, you know, how, how is it? You know, what, what do you think? And so he, um, you know, I applied and he sent my reel to the, uh, the, the rigging supervisor at that point. And, um, it's just happened that I had, uh, a bird on my demo reel. So there was a, this was a, actually a really cool commercial. It was like a, a bird made of coins. And it basically becomes, uh, you know, it flies and then at some point it falls apart and all the coins fall down. And um, this was a, a, a cool thing. Um, I love this commercial and um, I, I put it on my demo reel because I had rigged the, the, the bird and, and, and all of the stuff. And, uh, and it just happens at this point that they were working on Rio their first Rio movie, they were very interested in birds. <laughs> Coins or whatever, I, I, that was really funny. So um, uh, I was, um, you know, they, they called me, they made an interview and I'm, I'm telling you, you know, I was nervous for this first interview with my internship in LA, but oh my God, was I nervous for the Blue Sky Studios and um, call. I was so nervous because I wanted it so bad. <laughs> But I was like, don't screw it up, don't screw it up. And uh, I'm not, I hate actually, I hate phone calls when you don't see the other person. I really don't like it very much. Um, still to this day, I, if I can avoid making phone calls without like video, I'm, I'm just not, you know, not doing it. And, uh, but it, it, it must have gone well because uh, they invited me for in-person um uh, interview, which is funny, right? That these days you wouldn't really, um, like, I guess you would just do it via, via Skype or Zoom or whatever. Uh, but they flew me over and I, I had an in-person, um, interview with them and I, and they asked me all about the bird, which was funny. Um, and then I told them too, you know, I have been working with soft image exercise for the last couple of like, four years are you okay with this because i know you use maya right and they're like yeah we don't care <laughs> and i'm like okay okay so i was a little nervous about it but they really didn't care and so they they hired me which was cool and then um i started at blue sky studios in 2009 yes so and that's i guess was a, a long pre-Blue Sky Studios um, uh, talk, but that's basically where I started as a um, rigging TD um, character technical director, it was called at that point in time, and in the rigging department. And that was for the um, my first movie, uh, Rio One. Welcome to our short mid-episode Coffee Break. If you love the content and would like to have a successful career in the film or games industry yourself, check out my website 21artistshow.com. There you can find helpful articles, masterclasses and coaching opportunities that help dozens of my students to bring their profession to the next level. 
That's all. Check out 21artistshow.com and share the podcast with cool people you know. Let's continue with the episode. What I think is always fascinating is uh, when I talked with Paul, he was one of the first, so basically in the first episode, he is from technical director from Pixar. I'm not sure if you know him, Paul Kenyak. And he worked like on Ratatouille and so on. And, and that was something very similar between you two. And I think it's probably similar to a lot of people in, on this positions is like, he actually got his uh, like Pixar debut and his job at Pixar because he was researching car painting shaders basically. Ah, yeah. And like, imagine which, which Pixar project was the one that he was actually hired. It was cars. So, yeah, and, that's, and funny, that's the right? same thing. Yeah. And I remember you told this story before and, and this kind of also stuck with me is kind of like, okay, you can be as skillful as you want. You can be the best in whatever you are doing. At the end of the day, it's, it's only the need that will actually get you hired, especially on this high level, level position, because there are always better people, uh, than you are, but maybe not in exactly the thing that they are currently focused on, basically. And that was actually for you the same same reason, you know, the feather thing exactly. and the bird thing was the reason because Rio. It's and it's just this little bit of the, the right timing and, you know, that's kind of luck, you know, because you don't, I didn't know that Blue Sky was working on that film, right, that they were getting that done. Who knows, right? It's a secret normally. So uh, it's, uh, that was really yeah, luck. And how is it like luck defined is like creating opportunities is basically, you know, you, 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 you throw things at the wall and one of them, and then you call it luck. It's always the same thing. Yes. You will not get lucky just by like sitting in your couch, like all, like all day. It's, it's always like throwing things around and then luck is always a factor, but I feel like luck is basically something that comes with like getting yourself out there, uh, creating skills or creating something and then. Uh, you, it will not be instantaneously, you know, you create something and then suddenly like the jobs or the opportunities or the come, no, it's like create something, nothing, create something, nothing. And then maybe the hundredth time, maybe the thousandth time, it will be exactly the, the stars are aligned and then you basically get into it. Moving over, uh, you probably didn't know how long it will be also because I don't know, like maybe it's a year, maybe less, maybe more. And yeah, so what, how was the start basically? That was a very interesting because yes, I had done it before, but the one for that I did before the move was a very, it was a limited amount of time that was very clear. It was uh, seven months at that point. So I knew that I would go back for this move. You know, I didn't know. I mean, I definitely saw this as one of the big job opportunities um, in, my, in my career. And I had a, it wasn't a limited or project-based uh, uh, time that was specified for me. So I was kind of seeing this more of like a longer term uh, employment. So what I did is, uh, though still, you know, I primarily, you know, sold a lot of stuff. I think I sold pretty much all of my, my furniture or gave it away, you know, that kind of stuff or donated some stuff. And then I, um, you know, some things of course that I wanted to keep, you know, 
my poor parents uh, had to keep in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> That's and what then... <laughs> we all do. My parents also have all yeah. this stuff at their basements. It's like it's it's the it's the parents' <laughs> duty. The moment uh, the bird is flying away from the nest, is like keep my stuff, please. You never exactly. know when I need yeah. this book or this uh, whatever. <laughs> Exactly. And uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting. I had definitely learned some things because um, I mean, get, you know, at this point, it was actually in some ways lucky because I didn't, ex you know, I didn't have uh, huge amounts of furniture or larger items that I had to ship with a, you know, container over. So and that was not what I had intended. So literally, I came with um, two fully packed suitcases. Um, and the plan was also that, you know, my, my dad would fly over with two fully packed suitcases at some point. So we kind of brought stuff over in some ways there. And then some things my parents kind of shipped over, like just via regular mail. Uh, the things that were a little bit less um, important, you know, so that they didn't didn't break. But uh, I mean, I had it done for a couple of times. And then I, of course, when I studied in New York, I also was a little bit more familiar how all of this this works for like, it was a two year program. So, you know, I, I kind of had it a little bit more down at that point. So that worked relatively well. I had already uh, actually flew over uh, a little earlier to organize myself uh, um, a, a housing situation. I actually, you know, did appointments from Germany. I think uh, there was all kinds. I looked at Craigslist and other areas, you know, and, uh, um, you know, had appointments with them. So I met with people, while I was out there for like a week. And I, I found a, a, a great place with a roommate. She was awesome. And um, so I had already a place to go, which was great. And then when I flew over for, and then that was the interesting thing is because uh, my visa, I believe arrived two days before my flyout date. That was nerve wracking. Um, so difficult one, but it made it. I made it. So I was on the plane, flew over, and I, uh, I'm always somebody that is trying to be very efficient, sometimes to my detriment. And so what I did is I, I literally um, flew in from the airport. I drove to Ikea. I bought the furniture, which I had already kind of picked beforehand. I took that I basically okay that was with a rental car that I had also picked up and then um, I also went to a media market bought a GPS so that it would be easier for me so and then I drove with all of this to my new apartment and then I started actually building my furniture in my bed until the very late nights. So my first day at Blue Sky, I had, because I, I had, you know, the Ikea tools really that are manual, I had blisters all over <laughs> my head. <laughs> and I started at Blue Sky Studios um, and it was uh, pretty, I mean, you know, and I think everybody can, can um, really relate to that, that first day, you know, where you start in a, in a feature film studio that you know has done all of those cool movies and you're just like in awe of everything. So yeah, it was really, really awesome. The cool thing was also a couple of people had started there um, just a month earlier or around the same time. So it was definitely also a group of people that had just um, already gone through some of those, um, you know, learning experiences, which was kind of nice. So um, we, we started helping each other, which was really, really awesome. And, and everybody was super 
super nice. And um, of course, I was also definitely in awe because, you know, there are people that that knew so much. And I at, I at the beginning, I was definitely like, oh, my God, I have to work so hard. And I haven't even done the, um, you know, Maya for so long. So I was like, uh, you know, it wasn't that I was intimidated about working so hard. It was more like, I hope I can do it. And so I've worked extra hard to, <laughs> to make sure I would, would be very, very fast, uh, uh, proficient, you know, quickly proficient in the, in the Maya environment and, and figure it out. And yeah, that was the starting time. It was pretty awesome. And, uh, and I, I mentioned this before, but at Blue Sky as a, um, character TD in the rigging department, you did both. You did uh, the more technical setup stuff of, uh, you know, joints. And, and of course, they had their own auto rigging system um, that you had to kind of learn and, and understand. Um, and then you um, also needed to, um, you know, know how to do the correctives for the characters and and just get proficient with the way they were doing things and a lot of it was not you know something new to me I hadn't done this kind of setup um, you know in a small studio you, you don't um, uh, you know have a you know uh, you, in, in commercial, you don't have time to sculpt uh, all of those custom shapes for characters. You just have to crank something out extremely fast that works well, um, but works for the short amount of time the commercial is on screen, right? <laughs> and not for a 90-minute movie. You just started at Blue Sky. It was your, your first project, your first time, and it was a real. And so how... Like, how can you imagine like working for that? Because you before you worked in small companies, you worked in research, you did studies. So you had like expectations of what the typical day would look like, what typical like, expectation from you will be, how rigging looks like. So what was it actually at the end of the day when you started at Blue Sky? How was how was it the, the work actually or how was it different to like before, for example? Well, the main difference was that I primarily now was focused 100% on rigging. At the previous company, I was primarily working on, you know, everything that was a little bit more technical that came up that could have been sometimes making render layers. Sometimes it was uh, helping out with, um, you know, getting some sort of motion fluid fluids out you know i had to do some uh, real flow a, a lot of that which i actually enjoyed um and it it was really something that um was very you know a little bit more varied from the the the, the work i was but not as in depth you know like at uh, um the blue sky rigging department you, you that's what you do you do rig and at this specifically actually characters I, um, it's interesting too, I should maybe mention that I have not always had, you know, that specific direction that I wanted to become a rigging TD. I actually oh. started out th thinking I wanted to do effects. I actually thought I'm going to do, oh, water simulation, crowd simulation, all of that. But that uh, definitely changed at my first job in Germany because it just 
characters just became something I just so enjoyed. And the rigging that I learned there was just something that made sense to me, you know, and that's, that's why I decided that for my job at, at Blue Sky Studios, rigging was the thing I wanted to go for because I finally found that this is what I loved. And the, one of the big reasons was also, you know, with, uh, water simulation it takes you know Ages. time you do it you wait you do it you wait and uh, that's very different with the character setup you just do it and you get the feedback pretty much instantly and that was something i very much uh, responded to and wanted to continue and that's why at blue sky uh, that was really cool for me because i had found what I wanted to do is and I could 100% focus on it. So that was very different. And I think that was the main difference. The also the other difference was that I had not done too much modeling in my previous job. And that changed completely at Blue Sky Studios as well. So I was uh, doing a lot of, mo you know, blend shapes. I was doing a lot of, um, you know, adjustments sometimes from topology, Sometimes, you know, it's body corrective, sometimes it's facial expressions. So there was a lot of modeling involved, which was not something I had done much before. And I was also a little worried about it, but somehow that was something I actually really, really enjoyed. So it was quite a, a nice fit. But uh, the interesting thing was with Rio. So I actually didn't work on birds on the first film. What? I well, I had I had. <laughs> Why is that like? Well, how is that possible? Like, like doesn't make sense. Like they hire you specifically for 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 because of that skill, and then they say like, you know what? We we put we put our our best girl on the sideline, and then let's <laughs> let's see how she evolves before we use her. Well, let let's let's maybe first say look, the the best girl is maybe not the the, <laughs> the right one because I mean I had not. I had rigged a coin bird, right? Okay. But I mean, people at the, in the department, there were some that were extremely good and they had built the, the wing rig and they were doing the main characters. And when I came, you know, I had to learn the system and I basically started on BG characters, humanoid BG characters. But then I actually, and that was lucky because, you know, normally when you start on your first production, it's not that you're given right away a, a big, bigger character. And, I was uh, really fortunate to get one of the, at least from a human standpoint, one of the larger characters, which was the uh, uh, bad guy of the, the, they're like smugglers in this movie. And there's this lead smuggler named Marcel. And I got to rig him. And that was fantastic because that character was, um, uh, I, I, I have a little bit something, you know, I love working on uh, villains because they make, normally you know they have more expressions. expressions yes it's much more extreme and that is fun to me i love that and it also paid off i worked with an amazing animator on this she was the lead on it and i loved working with her she she's great um J jackie was just a an, an awesome animator to to you know have on my first bigger character and collaborate with her and that also was a little bit of a difference I would say that in my old studio you know we were just like those little tiny 14 15 people 
And um, the animators I worked with, you know, they were basically my my buddies, you know, they were sitting next to me, we were doing stuff together, I would, was very fluid. In a large company like Blue Sky Studios, that was different, we wouldn't even sit together, you know, they were sitting on the other side of the building, you know, I mean, the company at that point, I think it was about maybe 400 people, later it got more um, but it wasn't the same thing because, you know, you, you would primarily work in your team and rigging, but you had to, of course, collaborate with the animators. And I would say that when I started, that relationship wasn't the best. It was definitely something there was a little bit of tension. And I think, you know, uh, I, I would say if, if you have worked in rigging and or in animation, right, uh, that that relationship between animators and riggers, you know, can be tense sometimes, you know, because uh, animation wants something specific. An animator wants the tool that they want, and sometimes they they make an enormous amount of requests. Some of them very valid, and some of them may be more on the wish list. Uh, side of things and uh, the rigor you know it really depends what they what they want to do they sometimes you know are like yeah I'll, I'll do everything but it's also a time issue right you can't do that so it's like it depends how you take it you know it can be like oh totally unreasonable this this thing that doesn't make any sense or you know there's there's definitely can be tension between between those two uh, the departments. And I would say that that was something new to me. I had not experienced this before. And of course, it's much easier when you're in a small studio that, uh, you know, you work, sit next to the person. It's hard to have, you know, this kind of uh, tension with somebody that is uh, next to you. I'm not saying it's impossible. It can definitely happen, but it's a, uh, it's a different, Harder. uh, yeah, it's harder because uh, you you just um, have to deal with it. And in some ways, you know, you also want to, it's also a bit of an attitude, you know, you, you want to make it work. And at Blue Sky, it was definitely a bit more tense. And of course, a couple of things were also because the uh, requests had to be much more standardized. You can't just do whatever you want, right? That, that can be difficult if you have to support that for... Uh, 100 animators on, on a film when they're in production. So it has to be more standardized. But I would say that at the beginning, I was definitely surprised on some of the resistances or some of the um, difficulties, the tensions that were there on both sides. And I actually think that has shaped me a little bit from a standpoint of how I dealt with that and actually where my path led me to as well, because I think later on that would become one of my main roles in being in between those two departments um, and later on even more departments than that. I think it's it's super important that you mentioned that because sometimes you it's kind of get glossed over about this kind of topics and but they are actually something that influences a lot because I, I always see that from the pipeline perspective. So from my perspective, I mostly talk to to leads and supervisor a lot of times, and then but they are mostly the one that that kind of have this kind of re regime clashes in in their departments, and and so for me, it's I was also the first time I saw that. I was like, where is this coming from? It doesn't really make sense because these are the 
one of the, the departments that have to work perfectly together and they rely on each other in a way, you know, like a rig that doesn't, that doesn't look good animated mm, uh, and, and animation where the rig is, is shit doesn't work as well. So it's, it's kind of, it, it feels contradictive in a way, but um, if you look a little bit at the departments and how completely different their mindset are, you understand why this is coming from, you know, like this is something which I notice is like, um, that's one of the things, by the way, I, I always try, I always try to, to lift up the animation department to a little bit more of a technical level, because I feel like if you lift them up a little bit, besides solving their own problems, it always creates this like, like understanding level. And then they were like, oh, I understand if I have this small request, which I suddenly today, five seconds after I get my new rig decided, um, it will mean a whole day of work for one of them. And I think that's one yes. of the things, that, and I'm pretty sure something in that, in that regard, you're probably also going in the direction. But but it's it's interesting because um, this is typical typical rivalry I always see in basically every company is definitely between rigging and animation more than most other departments, to be honest. Yeah, it is. It's something that can be made better, as, as you said. I think a lot of it has to do with understanding what the other the other side is thinking and how how what it means for them in a lot of ways sometimes it means that hey when an animator wants to have you know and, and i'm going real basic a foot roll in a rig right that is uh, definitely something is like absolutely i mean how are you gonna do walks and all of that right you need that when um and and then when you know, though there are other requests that are like, hey, I want, uh, for example, all of my, um, you know, channels to be retargeted to something totally different uh, for preference reason, for example, you know, that could, could happen. Then, you know, as, as, as a rigger, you're like, okay, that, that's so much effort because it's actually in the system that we use. So I would have to, we would have to change it on all of them. It would affect everything. And it, this small request becomes something big. So sometimes it's about understanding a little bit and maybe having that conversation. And also sometimes it's about just, uh, as you said, educating people a little bit more on speaking that language. Actually, it was, was really cool later on in, in my, um, other role I, I was ha having, my I, I was always kind of explaining a little bit how things work and why they would have a different effect when, when we had a note that would come in. And there was a point where actually the supervisors I was working with and uh, a couple of the leads were like, can you hey, give us a little rigging, like little basic class? And I said, I would be more than happy to do that. So I made little rigging sessions and it was really, really fun. And I think it helped with the understanding. And of course, in that sense, it was also nice because it came from animation. They want to understand it and to get it to that point definitely was also a little bit of a, a work to get there, but it paid off nice. And it actually was something I continued by having cross-discipline education within, and later on I would work with what, what we call the characters department, where we had all of the, five, well, I, would, I call it five disciplines that play into it together, and we would do cross-education and, and try to make sure that everybody knew what they were talking about. Because it's not, while between animation and rigging, it's especially 
prominent that conflict, I would say it is not exclusive to those no. two departments. It can be between others as well. And that's why I felt like, as you said, you know, understanding what goes into the other discipline makes a huge difference. I actually had this discussion with Andrew Schlossel, who is the like development of education in Framestore. And we also talked about like how important it is that like, not like in this case, you were maybe your personal view and you try to kind of create a, like an environment, but how important it is for the company itself to, yeah. to do that education, not just to, to keep up, but to, to align people much more in the same level. I mean, for example, one of the things that I always recommend if you want to learn scripting, especially on a higher level, is code reviews. I think that's the, the easiest way to align yourself with someone else because someone tells you exactly what's his opinion or even like maybe solutions would be. And so you kind of level up, but you also level up on terms of quality. You learn from them, they learn from you. So it's, it's this kind of... In the end of the day, it ends up with communication and yeah. stuff like that. But I think that's that's super important, and it it actually is one of the re the more important things. The bigger the company has, because a lot of people think, oh, uh, if I work at Pixar, uh, suddenly all this like fights and stuff like that. Because I notice it's more in smaller companies. To be honest, I had more this this like weird emotional stuff, you know, where people like have their ego and you have to pet their ego and stuff like that. I had this more in smaller companies, I felt like. Big, oh, really? Bigger, bigger was actually, for me, always the opposite. I, I always felt like when I was working at Weta or Framestore, it was like the professionalism was so strong and people were so kind of safe in their skills that they didn't need to people to say that they did a good job or that every criticism is suddenly like a reflection of your personality or something like that. So I felt that was more in smaller companies, but sometimes people forget that when you go in this higher uh, mid to big companies, you have other problems. Suddenly you have problems of detachment to other people. You know, it's always easier to, to shit on another company that works to, with you on the same project, because that's basically what I ever always had. Every time you work with another company on the same project, they are shit and we are good. And the same <laughs> thing happens if your departments are so big, you're basically like, you, you only get the results. You don't know why the result is happening. Maybe it's time constrained. Maybe the team is too small, maybe what, whatever. And then you can only say like, oh, the result is not great. I would do a better job. So they're bad. And I think that's something you you have to be keeping in, in, in like in the back of your mind uh, when you do that. It will be just different challenges and you have to find new solutions basically to that. Sometimes it's it's nicer, you know, whatever you value, you know, I value more professionalism. I don't like just petty, oh, petty yeah. discussions and whatever. I would rather fight the fight of um, like acceptance from each department than fight the fight of like, yes, you do a good job. Um, fine. So, um, but I think that's, it's still important to understand that like, even when you go into a big company and you, you fall back on to be a, be a smaller part, um, you still have an, an enormous impact on how people treat each other. You know, it's like this kind of yes. small thing that you described and also do like explaining things, for example, I love that. If I can explain to someone and hopefully like he will learn a little bit from that, maybe he will kind of understand me better or even solve it himself, which for himself is always also kind of a, yeah, I did it like last time I asked, but this time I couldn't do myself. That's cool. Kind of. So there's a lot of things I feel like unfold in there. Exactly. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It, it's very interesting too, because uh, at some point 
we were rigging definitely felt like we want to move closer to animation. So physically even in the studio so that there is more of that, you know, we can go back and forth. We can actually visit each other more. You know, it was encouraged. And that was something uh, I think also helped all of we, we since animation is, is a huge department or was a huge department at Blue Sky Studios, you know, it was definitely something that wasn't so easily done. And a lot of, a lot of departments wanted to be close to animation. But uh, I think you can already see that there has been a thinking about that, you know, getting people closer to each other, making sure that they understand each other and communicate with each other. I think the easiest way is to go the Google route is like, just marry all the rigors to the animators. And then, then basically <laughs> yeah. there is like a daily, uh, either getting much worse <laughs> or much better. One of these, of these two roads will be ending up. <laughs> So what happened next, basically? So Rio was not the, the project for you that like the big one that where you where you were like fully involved on the on the main characters, which we were actually kind of or at least I was kind of uh, uh, like expecting after the whole hiring process. So what came next, basically? <laughs> what was what was the next project for you? Well, the next project was actually Ice Age. That was Continental Drift. I think it's the fourth one. And we uh, had actually that that was also extremely cool because I worked on the new a new female lead character, which was Shira, the female tiger. And that was pretty amazing. So I got my first big lead character. And it was uh, interesting because it was again with uh, the animation lead that I extremely uh, liked working with. So we had a really good, just a really good relationship with uh, figuring this out together because it was a difficult character from a sense of that she had to be found. You know, she was new. She needed to have the personality that we wanted. So it, it took a while to really find that and, and, and get that going. And I remember uh, we both had a presentation with the directors and I was uh, really successful. So we definitely had a, a, just a great uh, collaboration going with that. So that was a really interesting character. I actually have to admit that I... She she was not a villain and she was not as expressive <laughs> in her personality, which is why I actually have to admit I even enjoyed my first character on the first on Rio basically a little more just because it's 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 more challenging you know not not that she was challenged she had other challenges you had to make her extremely appealing but and she was a quadruped you know so always a little bit more difficult uh, but. From, I would say, personality standpoint, uh, I definitely just like a little bit more expressiveness, uh, broad. Uh, that is definitely something I enjoy more. But you sometimes get more in villains or in some crazy characters. And that basically is what I got on Epic, which was the next film I worked on. And that was the Caterpillar. And I'm, I'm not sure that was um, maybe a movie not everybody's familiar with, but this Caterpillar was uh, quite a difficult uh, character to work on. He had six arms and four legs, 
And he had basically, at the end, how I solved it, it was kind of two spines, kind of spine setups. So you could have him basically walk more uh, flat, you know, on the ground, which we actually didn't really do much of it at the end. But, uh, and he could also kind of bend up. That was more as normal, like an L shape, you know, the legs on the ground and then the arms would be more like up. And uh, that was, uh, I would say, where I really got into it. Because on that one, we, our auto rigging system, you know, we had to real, I had to get in there and I had to write some, what, what we called modules to, to make that work, use some existing components uh, for arms, making sure that we can have six of those. Uh, I had to write some, you know, ways of mirroring certain things um, over from like fingers to the other finger and so on. And uh, those kind of things we didn't have or the, the spine setup was where it was different. The, the way the, 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 you know, some of the, the switching there happened, um, it was very, very different in some ways. And that was great because that was the first time I really got into uh, writing more code on a, in a, in a way that it made it into our auto rigging system and making those adjustments. And that, that was great. I, and, and that's maybe also a little bit from, from my point of view, you know, you had a, a Blue Sky, you had two, well, maybe kind of three kind of different riggers. You had the extremely, extremely technical ones that were sometimes not even like, doing so much character work, but we're also doing character work, but they were really, really uh, talented in that that area of scripting and um, programming and making very complicated uh, setups uh, for, for the rest of the team. Then you had uh, other riggers that were more completely on the more creative side. They would be excellent at sculpting, making things, deformations appealing. They worked a lot on, on characters and um, they could still do, of course, custom things, but they're not really programming. Uh, and then you had the in-between, which was basically, uh, who did kind of both. And that was something that I fell into. So I, I love to do the, the deformation, the creative thing, but I also did the, the more technical aspects of it. And on Epic, I could really start doing this on a larger scale, which was then what um, really brought me on Rio 2 to be considered and, and then in the end was uh, promoted to a lead on this show and I was the actual facial lead on the show. We had two leads at that point in time. It was a body lead, a facial lead and on, on the Rio one we also had a bird lead. And the bird lead uh, was uh, some uh, was it was an amazing rigger who on that show actually he left. So after a while being the face lead I also took over some of the responsibilities of the bird lead. And that, that word became really interesting for me because it was the first time, you know, I was going, stepping out of the just purely rigging for myself on a character. It was, uh, leading the, the team for 
the first for the face faces primarily, and then for the um, the helping out with the bird setups, uh, which which was complicated, but luckily you know it was already kind of established in a in a good way. And then on the same time, I also because we switched our rigging system from um, you know basically on. Uh, Epic, we we switched our rigging system that we had used on Rio 1. And that meant that Rio 2, we made the decision to also re-rig all the assets and use our new system. So, you know, we didn't have much savings, but I would say we still had savings because we knew the art direction. And that was extremely, sometimes maybe that's the most time-consuming thing. So we knew how those rigs were being used, how they were... Um, how they should look, what kind of shapes we needed to do. And we could even inherit some of the shapes and then build on, on, on those to make them even better for our second iteration. So we decided to re-rig all of the, the rigs. And that was uh, an interesting time. So I also, at the same time, while I was the lead, I also re-rigged uh, Blue and Jewel, <laughs> which was definitely um, uh, an a lot of a lot of work but because it was a little simpler you know I, I could do that at the same time and the lead responsibility that was definitely something very new that um, I was super excited to take on but it was also uh, of course uh, with everything new also comes a little bit of the concern oh can I do it uh, you know a little bit of that worry of course is always there at the beginning before we move on to the lead part, uh, it would be interesting for me because mm -hmm. uh, I actually have a lot of people talking with me who coming from rigging. It's actually like most of my clients actually are, are riggers. It's, it's so absurd because I have no clue of rigging besides the basic stuff. But um, there's always this question is like how important is scripting in itself? You know, how important is and a little bit also in the same direction is like how far, like how, what kind of level um, is like a necessity or basically kind of like if you want, for example, work on something like Blue Sky Project, Rio Project, which is like the level that would be expected. Can you give us a little bit like of an insight in that one? Yes, and I, I think that actually also varies a little bit from studio to studio, company to company. At Blue Sky, at least when I started, Scripting was definitely something that was extremely beneficial. I think in general, scripting can be a beneficial tool to, I would say, it, I would say it doesn't have to be a requirement. I know riggers that don't script and they are doing fantastic work. However, then you do have to have some sort of um, setup that you can use some, some, you know, you have to know use let's say the Maya elements in, in a smart way you, there's not so much of an automation maybe that that you could script that that will help that make that easier so every single time you know I was doing something that needed to be more automated or a task that I had to repeat multiple times you kind of want to or I at least make my life easier when I when I write a script I I, I think generally it can be very beneficial for yourself it also depends. In some companies, it might be a requirement. At Blue Sky, it was definitely beneficial. I also think you had more ability to then 
maybe become a lead. It was all a little bit more on the technical side there, but that was also because the rigging department initially at Blue Sky supported themselves with all with a lot of their tools, not all of them, but a lot of their tools. That changed later in the process. And the idea was that we would have TDs, a separate department that would take care of that more. And some of the rigging TDs that were in the rigging department, we also had some shift over and go into the TD department because they were more really on the deep end technical side. For me, I would say, as I said, I'm in between, but I'm not uh, like a, a, like super, I'm not a, not a software developer. And that is also not something I was interested in. As I early learned at IBM, <laughs> I, I did not think that was. <laughs> that's, a, that's how was we make the curves, I'm... basically. No? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for me, it was uh, primarily scripting, making scripts, writing components that would make it into the auto rig, but uh, it wasn't going all the way into. Um, uh, the the really you know we had we had an R and D team you know they were making amazing things that I were way and are way over my head but I would say it is all in my opinion it's always beneficial if you know a little bit of scripting just because it also makes your life easier but what I've seen at companies uh, even at Pixar I think they are separating those things so. You are much. Uh, you can be if if that's how you choose to do it. You're you're the modeler and the rigger, so you're much more on the more. I would let's say maybe let's say deformation side of things, the creative side of things. I don't want to say because I feel like uh, programming is inherently creative as well, just not in the the. The, the same way, but extremely creative. It can be. That's why I want to avoid doing that, <laughs> saying that. But I do think, let's say. At Pixar, you're more on the deformation side of things. If you choose to do so, you don't have to, and you can be, um, you know, th it's just a different job description. And I think at other studios, uh, you you really don't have to script. I have um, where I work now at Micros Animation. There are also different levels of that. Some some riggers are extremely versatile in it and some are not for me personally i always think it can't hurt because honestly at some point in your life you'll make your life easier if you can write a little automation script that that saves you a lot of time well, that's basically also the rollback to the education part you know it's like you can you can maybe regret not learning scripting but pro like i cannot imagine you regret learning scripting at least you know that's that's the thing and um i would say i absolutely get your answer and i, I feel like um it's a little bit specific because at the end of the day, most people don't end up at Pixar or Blue Sky and they don't have a dedicated department for that. And what I always say is like, uh, like um, if you are a great rigger, you can make stuff happening, but only if you are also a scripter, you can make a production happening. Because at the end of the day is like, uh, if you if you are a great rigger, but then you have to repeat things 100 times exporting and stuff like that, but even or very specific rigging things, like you cannot keep up in a production that has a high reiteration rate, for example. And especially if there probably will not be a specific department that will kind of code everything for you. So I think like, like even 
if you are want your goal is to become like DreamWorks, Pixar, or Disney, where you probably will not specifically need that skill. I think just to get there and to get to get like the value uh, throughout the steps that you need go and to become like very valuable through like the companies that will hire in between. I think scripting is, I think one of the the strongest points, especially for rigging. I can I don't, don't even see that as much, for example, for lighting or something. Like I see specifically for rigging, but because it is so technically and it's also so like uh, like iterative iterational. Uh, because you know, animators like, oh no, let's change this one. Now I have to do the whole thing. So I, I absolutely absolutely get your point. I think it's 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 exactly the reflection uh, of uh, of the how bigger companies is. But until you're there, I feel like uh, scripting is actually a uh, a great stepping stone to give you the the small edge, you know, like you got the edge with the with the bird and the feather. Uh, I think scripting can be sometimes the edge is like, oh, this one, this guy is great, great rigor, but you can also do like small scripts and stuff like that. And I think that's something, and that's what I basically always say is like, do how far you want, but it it, it definitely will only benefit you to have a like a min, a minimum amount of this knowledge, for example. Yes, and I also think, you know, it really depends, for example, if you really, you know, hate scripting. Let's say you really hate programming, right? And you don't want to do it, but you do like, you do like rigging. Then you could, and if your goal maybe is to work with one of the, you know, I'm, it doesn't have to be necessarily, you know, uh, Pixar or, I mean, Blue Sky doesn't exist anymore. That will be hard nowadays. <laughs> yes, very hard. But, but it could even be other, you know, smaller companies that are still relatively large, you know, but uh, those, if, if you want to, for example, not script, then I think you can always also go the modeling route. Modeling and rigging can also well pair. And that can be very valid as well. So you could say, I'm more on the creative side, I do models and I rig. And that can be really, really cool because then, you know, you could be maybe even hired as a, as a modeler or some, some companies now are also having the, the facial shapes, for example, created more on a modeler's plate. But that pl model has to be more technical because that model also has to maybe do some skinning and you know, all of that stuff and use rigging tools. So that could be also another avenue of going that way. I, I haven't met too many riggers that really, really despise scripting to the degree that they wouldn't want to write even like a little helper script but i have met people that really love the more deformation aspect of it and really like modeling and that pairs well as well in my opinion i think that's interesting because when when i was going through the journey and was thinking about like how much uh, do i want to go the rigging route and stuff like that i always thought that animation is actually the connection you know like rigging and animation because they're like but uh which is like which what which one would you say are the in terms of career connection is better rigging and modeling or rigging and animation Oh, that's hard to say. I think it's also so up to the person and what they like. I think it's really important that what you choose is what you're really passionate about. For me, I really, early on, I realized I'm just not a really good animator. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you are a really good animator, rigging can pair well, but I would say to stay a, or to become and stay a really good animator, you have to animate. Animate, animate, animate. 
it's super beneficial if you can maybe do your own rigs and if you know how to do it. But I think that combination can be, as I said, extremely beneficial. It depends where you want to do it. If you want to like go to and work on feature film, 3D animated feature film, then you probably are do will do nothing else than animate, I assume, because it's such a, it's also highly competitive. It uh, takes, I think, constant practice. And I think rigging is such a vast other area that combining that can be hard. Uh, I have seen it being done, but it's, it's, it can be hard. For me, as I said, I was not a super great animator. And I think, I'm not sure even with practice if I could have ever been a super great animator. Probably. But, <laughs> but for me, the, the modeling aspect uh, works in the sense because you also work a little bit more. One is shot production and the other is more of an asset field. So that's also, I think, a little bit of a separation there not that they are separate but it's it's two areas uh, i would say and then this this asset production you know, the modeling and the rigging pairs well because you you can't really make a rig without uh, a model and you can't have a, a beautiful working rig without having some sort of modeling skills however you do need a really good rig for animation so that can help you in your process, but I think as a, and, and also as a rigger, it can help you if you know what an animator needs, but you can learn both of those things without being a specialist and pair those things. Yeah. I think you did, you did mention a good point, the separation between assets and shots. I think there is this line and I mean, just time-wise, you know, like a shots will, will start yeah. later, for example. So I think there, there is this separation and I, I totally agree. I feel like modeling and rigging is actually the, the, the easier pair and like the more sellable pair you as a like yes. you know where this is like where you a little bit of a jump i feel like and as you said it's a very high a high uh, performance skill you know a good animator uh, you don't have to be as good as a modeler in this case for example as a rigger let's go back to actually uh, what's what happened next so you were on rio 2 and you switched now to a lead position so how much yes. does it change because there's we actually had uh, this discussion before with nicolas leblanc about like what is lead what a supervisor does and it's it's kind of like oh still a misconception exactly like how the switch actually looks like and especially for the person who does the switch it's a lot of times of like growing pains of oh um i shouldn't maybe touch as much so how was it for you and what was actually like your task when you switched to that one well as a lead i i'd say you still do a lot of hands-on work i i rigged uh, blue and jewel re-rigged blue and jewel on the side as well so that was still a lot of the work i did so it's not that i as a lead i think you still get your hands really in there the big difference for me was that um you do sometimes have to delegate certain tasks that that's definitely important because uh, there are things that so you have to learn that a little bit the so it, it gets a little less hands-on but um, primarily you have to just also learn that some things maybe are not wise to take on yourself. 
And then you have more meetings, 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 always. Yeah. Everyone who, who becomes in this direction is the, like, they despise the meeting, at least in the beginning. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I agree. It is like a, a, sometimes, sometimes not necessary uh, evil, <laughs> but I, th that is definitely something that increases. And I think it's, um, a lot about, and, and this is interesting because in the way I always understood being a lead is that your team comes first. And that is not, I would say, and I really want to make, maybe actually say this in this interview, because I think that is for me, the number one importance that changes. When you are doing your character on your own, you and getting this character done is kind of the, the number one. And that's kind of the only thing you have to focus on. But when you're a lead, the way I always saw my job is my team comes first. So while I might rig jewel on the side and I have a deadline, it's I always prioritize that my team wouldn't get stopped first. That, that was always more, for me, a higher priority. So, for example, as a lead, you know, I set up... Um, the, the the facial yeah what is it like guidelines the templates how how you do things from a creative standpoint technical standpoint providing and, and distributing those to the team so I also wrote like those uh, attributes that would be in there you know the different channels that we would be available how they would be named that would work close with with animation and that and the importance was that I didn't want to be the bottleneck because I fed the, in some ways, I fed the team with this information. And it was really important for me that while I might have to push my data out, uh, that was, I, I tried not to, right? But it was always more important to have help the team first so that they would not be stopped and stuck because that's much more impactful than having me basically delay something than if like 15 people can't work. And, and, and that was always one of the things. I always wanted to take care of them first and, and uh, that's how I saw my responsibility. And that I think is a big difference and not, I would say in my experience, I think every good lead sees it that way. I totally agree. I think that's something that most people need to learn. Some people come already with this like pre, uh, like like mindset which is perfect because then you already kind of perfect to go into this lead position or supervising position but some people are like it is it is just um it can be crashing a little bit if you go from senior to lead because it feels like the natural like progress but it actually is already kind of a shift because until senior you just yeah. basically get more complicated stuff and more exciting stuff maybe even uh like like the, the bigger explosions the bigger rigs and the main character but after after senior it becomes actually it shifts in a little bit into a different direction and i feel some people kind of are a little bit surprised and blindsided for it from this because they were expecting it's like just going like continue this path but it actually shifts more to a management to a kind of like now i have to care for people it's not just like like the, the biggest work and that's about no it's more like like that's what actually what i meant is not that you specifically especially not on the lead you're not specifically 
go away from hands-on, but you do more of this kind of uh, fire, taking out fires, basically hands-on. You know, you're more like, okay, what is needed, as you mentioned, to to keep the machine running, to keep my department running, so they're not like wait or 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 spin spin their yes. wheels. Um, and I think that's a little bit where also ego becomes a little bit of a, of a pushback because suddenly it's like like. Sometimes you're lucky you get the, the interesting character, but sometimes it's not, you know, because it's not on your priority as much as it was on as a senior role. Yes, it's very interesting because, as you said, the lead might be the natural next career step, but it is a different, I would say, a different job. It's a different career direction. It goes a little bit as an angle. <laughs> And it's it's uh, interesting because also and and that's also one thing I would like to mention about that. You, when 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 I became lead, I was still one of the young well younger people younger people from age, but also from the people that had started just a couple of years ago at Blue Sky. So I wasn't one of those people that had been for a long time at the company had a wealth of knowledge and experience where also much older in the sense of age difference. And I was worried, I was really, really worried that um, as a lead, people would accept me and would I would be able to, yeah, do that lead duty in, in that sense that people would respect me and do that. And one thing is, if I think if you do your lead role right and I'm saying right in the sense that you put your team first, but also second that you are not, uh, you don't pretend you know everything. Honestly, no, nobody knows everything. Not just because you became lead, you suddenly know everything or you are the, you're basically have to pretend like I'm the one that now makes, makes the decisions or I'm the one that call, make the calls, right? That's a really wrong attitude. I think you have to acknowledge and that you you can't be the expert at everything. In my team, there were some amazing people and they just knew this better. And the, the art is as a lead that you then say, either if you have to, you know, like, can you, you are the expert in this. Can, can you explain this to me? So I understand this better when I speak with the other, you know, the supervisor or speak with somebody else, or you, you say you're the right person for this. You, you, it's, this is now your task. You're passionate about it. Just making sure that you find the right people that are doing that, that are just really good at this. And, and that's, that's a little bit of the art because I think if you're, going to a lead position is like, no, I made it. Now I'm the one that makes the calls. That is normally a, a little bit of a disaster time. And I think also in that sense, then if you understand your lead role correctly, then the age difference and also the, for example, if you have to lead more experienced people, it doesn't matter anymore. That has been my experience. Even though I was worried about it, I would say it worked well. And I hope the people agreed with me that uh, they, they liked working with me in that role, I hope. And uh, I think that uh, that makes a huge difference. And I would say that it's not only lead, that is in any, any role, supervisor, head, whatever we're going to be later uh, acknowledging this and also knowing for yourself that it's not your role to know everything. That's just not your role. Your role is more to know who is the best at knowing that and then 
making sure that you you give this work to that person. That's actually what I what I always noticed. Also, the moment I worked with more professional people, where I felt like okay, this are like a lead supervisor, producer sometimes even um, when they admitted that they don't know it. You know, and I felt like this this make a huge impact on my professionalism because I, I noticed it's like this. Yeah. It's much easier for me nowadays. I like, uh, for example, especially for example, on teaching, I noticed that there's a lot of questions I don't know. Like, you know, I've never thought about this specific thing here. Um, and and I'm, I'm so okay with saying like, I don't know it yet. So a lot of times I'm like, someone yeah. asked me uh, what will happen if I do that? I was like, don't know. I've, I have to find out. Let me come back to you later. Um, or sometimes like find it out and tell me kind of like depends on the, where, where I'm going. But um, this is actually coming from from the, the good leads and supervisor I had where I respected this this grown up professional behavior where I feel like, OK, this they're not trying to impress me. Like for what reason? They're much better than I am. So <laughs> what what is here to impress or they don't want to sh to to hide their shortcomings or something? No, they're they're kind of like feel enough self-esteem and confidence that they can say like it's not my job to know everything that is not what yes. i'm here it's actually not even my role to know everything um and i'm totally fine when i don't know but of course and that's important it has to be addressed because i also had had uh leads and supervisor who didn't know or like well, obviously in, the team didn't know about something and it was kind of like like put under the rug and then it was like I still don't know and he still don't know and we still didn't solve this problem so I feel like this combination of both because again there are people who I, who say that they don't know but they don't do anything about it you know it's basically like a, like a defense mechanism is like uh I don't know about it's fine I don't know that and then like and then one week later like you ask them okay uh now can we do that I still don't know it's like how is that possible yeah that's it shouldn't be used as an excuse. It should only be as like, uh, you know, acknowledgement when, the, you know, you have to, you can't just uh, go in and say, you know, now because I have that role, I know everything. This is just basically that acknowledgement. But yes, of course, if there are things that are unclear, it's it's also on you to facilitate the finding of the solutions and also making sure that you know yourself either or as i said you are bringing the maybe the person into a meeting and have that person present certain things i've, I've done this as too because one of the other things also i hope and i think every hope hope i mean everyone does that hopefully uh giving those people also the credit and making sure that they are basically being yeah it's not not everywhere <laughs> but it's really important i actually make a make a point of mentioning the names of people and if i do something at some point accidentally which can happen you know that that's that's not you know, nobody is uh, thinks of everything all the time then uh, i definitely want to make a, a point later of it that and a, of course that is never something i don't want to do it's always important to give also the people the credit and i actually it's also important the other way around when you you have for example a supervisor that uh you you know or, or you let's say you are a supervisor and maybe somebody that's higher than you is like really pushing on something and says we should do this and this and this but 
they are not really the expert. And I have done this before that I said, you know, I, I don't agree with you on this. I would, I would do this, this and this for those reasons. I think this is the better path and just being, having that confidence also to, even though you, you maybe get that and that might sometimes be also just out of the, the need to just making the decision because I need to know everything, you know, and then just you telling that person that, Hey, I have a lot of experience in this. This is the reasons why I think this, this, and this might work better. Of course, that might still be that person's decision to take that advice, but having that confidence in the other position to also tell your lead or your supervisor that. And hopefully if you have a good lead and supervisor, they will take that into account and say, you know, let me look at that. Maybe I didn't see all of this. I want to make sure, you know, that uh, I, I see all of that. You have more experience in this area. So let me see. Maybe this is the right way to do it. And I think that that's important too. So it's a little bit always on both sides, right? You have to make sure that you you tell your leader, your supervisor that might make, um, all, they're all just humans, right? So everybody's going to make some sort of mistake or not think about something. So I think having this this relationship and and also encouraging it as a lead that you know and as a supervisor to make sure that people are feeling like they can tell you that. Yeah, that's totally. I mean, th too. that's one of the things that sometimes people are not aware of. Like, not everyone has the same priorities all the time. You know, this. I mean, this is the biggest downfall in humankind kind of thing. Is like you always think everyone thinks yeah. the same things as you do, and they yes. have the same priorities as you do. So, if you, for example, working on this rig, you think the supervisor is like sitting at night and thinking also about this specific rig, <laughs> and then and then you're wondering why is no one moving this specific part there? And yes. so, this is like the the the, the problem that everyone has to like depends on which just the side you are supervisor lead or the other side of the artist td is like you have to be aware a lot of times it's just not on their priority doesn't mean it is it doesn't have a priority it's just a lot of times means you have to find out is it a priority like in an objective sense not in your personal sense but like because you're working on it but on like a little bit more of a production sense department sense and then if you feel it maybe you check with another artist or td or something then bring it to to them and and don't feel like you know it's like oh they ignore it or whatever a lot of times they just have other things to do that they're, they're much more explosive or whatever and they just miss this part and if you i think if you do it in a in a educated way in a little bit of prepared way i think they will be very grateful at least i know i will if someone comes to me and says hey alex uh, i didn't saw uh, i saw that this button explodes the whole export and stuff like that. And uh, we use that for a week and stuff like that. I was like, Ooh, well, okay. Let me, let me check it in that, you know, especially if they do their homework. I love it. If someone comes to me, even if I did a mistake and, and they are, Oh, I tested it. I, I know what, what it is like kind of, so let's, and I'm like, Oh, thanks. Uh, I will look into that. I think that's one part. And the other part is, the whole like being open with your mistakes is not just about like having a cool character and he's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm fine with telling you what is wrong with whatever. No, it's also about creating, as you basically said, this kind of a trusting relationship. Because how yeah. can you, you know, it's just this thing of Buddha or Jesus, you know, if you have Jesus in front of you, like, like you cannot, first thing, you cannot connect with Jesus. 
That's something I actually uh, like. You cannot <laughs> connect with perfect. How can you connect with someone who is perfect or Buddha or whatever? Like someone who is totally Zen, has no flaws, has everything is perfect, everything is happy, whatever. You cannot connect to a person that is that is literally perfect. You know, if it's it's the same thing you do with these people that you only know from from TV. If Tom Cruise suddenly came uh, to you uh, or Eddie Murphy or something like that, uh, as, until they they show you their human side, whatever that means. Uh, you have a problem to connect to them and you feel like like aligned to them. And telling someone your flaws in a way or, or you don't know something, I think always bridges a little bit and it, it allows you to be flawful yourself. You know, it, it allows you yes. to not hide, like because that happens a lot of times, I can tell you, is like, oh, people do mistakes. Let's see if it if it's someone notices basically, and a lot of times it Absolutely. notices like yes. weeks and months later. In a way of like everything is broken, we have to re publish everything again yeah absolutely it's all about uh, allowing that you 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 know you can fail and say that certain things failed you know without um feeling like you know you have to hide it or you know you have to make sure that you 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 and i think the best way to do this is by going by example and saying i have said this multiple times like I'm sorry. I actually this maybe was the the that was probably the wrong decision that didn't work out. Let's try something else. Let's focus on this and let's do try that. Sorry guys, that did not work. Um, I made decisions so that didn't work out. So let's try something else that might work. What do you guys think that works better? And then we can move on to it. And I think it's it's uh, there's not there's no. Um, problem in this ever i feel like i think it becomes a problem if nobody wants to say anything um about anything that goes wrong and then or if you do a lot of or finger pointing starts that's the worst um and that is something um that that has to be also and again as a leader supervisor you have to make sure that this is not um you know acceptable because and that it normally i, I mean it, it can definitely happen, uh, but making sure that the way you react, that this is not something um, that is, you know, that you discourage that. Yeah, it's it's uh, actually because we, we uh, talked previously with Carl Rosendale about company culture. It's a little bit of a company culture thing where you create, like you said, by example, you create a culture of yourself. You know, is it okay to make a mistake? Is it how do you handle that? Uh, how how do you see responsibility, which is super important? Is you know, do you feel responsible yeah. for the things that surrounds you, or only responsible for the thing that was actually told you that's your thing? And how, that so I feel like it's always this ca uh, company culture. And um, for example, Carl mentioned that uh, PDI, by the way, uh, they created Shrek. So PDI was the one that was later bought by DreamWorks and they created Shrek. Um, they actually were uh, firing people if they didn't fit the culture. Because in a way, it sounds not much harsher than it was probably, but um, they were like, like, okay, this person just kind of brings toxicity in the whole thing. Maybe pointing fingers, maybe doing things, maybe hiding things or something like that. So basically where they were like very self-conscious about like you can try and you like lead by example, but you have to be careful because it is at the end of the day, a little bit of a balance. You have to like, you cannot just like say like, like I give example and everything will work out. A lot of times they're like, you know, people just fight you and then you're like, it doesn't work. So it, it, I think it's, it's a very complex thing, but, I, but that's, I think that's important to understand when you, when you switch from a 
technical or artistic role to a lead or supervising role is that it, it is a different path. It is more of a production management path. Um, and you have to relearn maybe some things if you didn't already catch it uh, throughout your career. Yes, and it is interesting because I think that's where um, a, a lot of this, this it, what I initially had as part of my studies, the pro pro project management aspect of it came a little bit more into it. And I think that is something that, especially in the last couple of years, I have been definitely been more on the management side, but it is becomes a decision at some point, what you want to do, if you want to be more on the artist side. And I have met many people that that I would have liked to have as supervisors that did not want to do supervisor work. And I have met um, others that really were made for it, but, uh, and did really good as well. And they, they stuck with it, but they had to also make that decision, right? If they want to do that, because for me personally, and then maybe that, that brings us a little bit to uh, the, the next kind of um, work I was doing. Um, so on the the Peanuts movie, that was for me a little bit of a big turning point because as a lead, I think you still work on, you know, have a lot of hands-on work. And on the Peanuts movie, I actually became the show lead. That was a new position that was introduced at that point in time. And I helped create that as well with the supervisor at that point. And it was basically a show lead for rigging that would oversee all of the aspects. So we would still have a face lead and a body lead, but you had one that span across that because it, uh, especially with the Peanuts movie, it was actually quite a challenging film because, and I'm not sure if, you know, whoever hasn't seen it, taking a look would, would really help to understand why, but because it had, you know, the, the Peanuts characters, they're so iconic. They have been established. The stories have been established. It's 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 a huge thing. It we wanted to be faithful to that look, and we wanted to make sure that we could do this in 3D while being faithful to the original 2D cartoon. And that was a huge challenge. And the main challenge is because while and then saying this for for maybe saying it is probably a good thing because I still sometimes I'm being asked this. No, if it looks simpler, it doesn't mean it's simpler in 3D and especially in rigging. <laughs> if something looks simple, often it's much, much, much harder. And those cartoon characters, Snoopy, Woodstock, and Charlie Brown and all those kids, they were very, very challenging because we wanted to keep some of this 2D and the hand-drawn feeling of it in 3D. And one thing 3D is not so great with, and especially in the past and at this point, you know, when, when I worked on it, when was this? It must have been 2014 or so, I, I think. And that, uh, yeah, 2013, 14. And that was, um, you know, computers are great at doing something very accurate, but when you have that 
uh, hand-drawn feeling, that's just never accurate because, I mean, this, we, it's just not how we do things, right? Our circles will never be 100% mathematically correct uh, unless you have a really, really steady hand, but that is very rare. So you, you, if you want to get that, we had to do new things to make the computer basically forget that accuracy and have tools that would allow us that. And that translation was a big, big, deal and we had to completely in some ways forget our pipeline and do something completely new for rigging and it was huge and the collaboration with animation the collaboration with uh, even I mean it went all the way into materials into making the 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 costumes, how we, we deal with that, how we deal with the, the sim aspects of it, how do we do the fur, all of this became such a tight collaboration. And that was, uh, I would say, my, my big turning point because I worked so close with animation. I think we had never worked so close with animation because it had to be so, so it, the flexibility we needed for those rigs was also so extremely important. And I worked with them so much on figuring out how we even animated. They had to figure out their style and it had to be, it was on tools at the end, what we decided to do. And it was a huge uh, collaborative effort. I think everybody felt it because everybody had also one uh, common goal and that was to be faithful to to this property, this, this established 2D cartoon and to its creator. And that that was really, really interesting. And I loved, I'm still mentioning it as the one film I most enjoyed working on because it was absolutely challenging. It was stressful. And uh, it's one of those nostalgic things where I look back and it was all wonderful and great, but I know there were, there were tense times, tense, tense times there. That's it with this week's episode of the 21 Artist Show. Thank you so much for watching and listening. This podcast is 100% ad-free. And to keep it that way, check out my website, 21artistshow.com. There you can find exclusive access to awesome masterclasses and coaching opportunities to work successfully in visual effects, animation, and games. Just go to 21artistshow.com. And don't forget to share it with people who would benefit from that content and tell them they're awesome. See you on the next episode. Next on the 21 Artist Show. You went to the, the studio and you picked up your things, you know, and you ran into some other people. Of course, everything with masks, right? It had to be all very tightly organized. You, you only certain amount of people, number of people could be in the studio. Certain, you had to, of course, keep your distances, disinfect. And it was all difficult. It wasn't where you could just all get together and hug. Right? This, this wasn't possible. Also another thing that made it really hard uh, in that sense. But yeah, so it was definitely when, you, when I went to the studio and saw the studio for the last time, ran into a couple of people. And um, yeah, that was definitely a bit of a harder, um, you know, the time where it really sank in like this, this, uh, this is it. <laughs>